0: Welcome to Views from the World Tree. On this week's show, we dust off our flashes, grab our pipes, eat a little bit of haggis as we get ready to celebrate St. Andrew's Day. And now, on with the show.
1: I see Good news
0: everyone
1: Very cool Alright so Really quickly Go through my news section As far as what I'm reading
0: I'm reading it didn't start with you
1: I think I might have mentioned this already
0: Um, I don't know that I've heard About this one maybe Maybe you told me but Life
1: (laughs) Uh, That's fair Um, It's so it's called It Didn't Start With You How Inherited Family Trauma uh, Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. So it's kind of like a, a self-helpy book, I guess. Just trying to like. It's written by a bunch of. Um, well, actually, it's written by one guy, but it's got like uh, contributions, I guess, from a bunch of different PhDs and people who are much smarter than me. (laughs) Um, uh, But it's all about how to like break the cycle of generational bad habits when it comes to family relationships. So,
0: Interesting. Uh, Any good takeaways so far?
1: Um, There's been a few parts that I've highlighted. Um, I don't have them handy with me, so I'll probably hold off on that until um i have that and then probably until i've read more but so far it seems good That's i don't know i i'm not really big on the self-help genre so um like it, i'm kind of new to <laughs> to that type of book uh but so far i'm enjoying it
0: so it, it's it's one of my go-to genres when i can't think of something else to uh to read is usually like self-help uh finance uh, i guess nature like like the rewilding books that we've mentioned so it's yeah. one of my favorites um a lot of it's fluff but sometimes <laughs> you get some good information in there
1: yeah that's what i'm finding and i've i find that for me at least um it helps to not try and like Read a lot of it all at once. Sorry, fire's popping behind me. I can hear it through my headphones.
0: Oh, good.
1: Uh, That last log must have been a a pine or a fir. But um, yeah, like it. if I try and read too much at once, I get to that phase where I'm just like looking at the words and not really digesting what they're trying to say. So I'm trying to take this one a little bit slower so I can pay attention. Fair. Um, and then as far as watching and playing, um, actually got quite a few that I've been into um, this last couple of weeks. I picked up Modern Warfare 2, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I absolutely loved the campaign. Um, the Blizzard fan in me wants to think that that's, um, that's part of the reason is, you know, because They've been merged with Activision for a while now, but I'm sure Activision has some really good storytelling, anyway. But the the technology that has come so far uh, to do these like motion capture cutscenes and stuff it's it's crazy because um, like you'll get a character on there in this cutscene and like I so the the general um, that's in the campaign I can recognize his voice, uh, the voice actor's voice, but I can also look at the, the 3d uh, modeling that they did for the face. And I can see like, it looks like the voice actor.
0: Oh, phenomenal.
1: Uh, So it's like, you can, you can look at the character and recognize just visually who it is. So it's really crazy. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, I definitely suck at the multiplayer though. So um, I need people to carry me if you're listening and you're, you know, if you're good at call of duty, <laughs> send me a tweet. <laughs> Cause I just, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the multiplayer. Um, then I, or tr- er, sorry, the campaign. And then I tried to jump into some multiplayer matches and just got my ass handed to me. It was
0: ridiculous. <laughs> so, yeah. Um that, those type of games, those first-person shooters, third-person sh- shooters, like, you either are really good at them or stay away from multiplayer because people will <laughs> just roll through you. Yeah. So, I don't
1: know. Maybe I just need to play enough that it like the matchmaking can uh, can figure out that I'm bad. But <laughs> I don't know. anyway,
0: well, uh, until then. Uh... People will be sad that you're on their team. Yeah.
1: Um, and then, so another game, um, I guess it's a game. Yeah, it's a game. It's a, a web browser game, but um, I was reading Rezit. Sorry, I can't talk. I've had a weed <laughs> <laughs> Um, I saw on Reddit um, that someone may, so have you heard of the game called GeoGuessr? Yeah. Okay, so someone made a clone of that, but for World of Warcraft. So they have like 300 million images from all around um, World of Warcraft. So all of the zones, North, all of like Azeroth, Outland, everything. And they've overlaid it with the map, um, like the aerial map, and it's... It's literally like GeoGuessr, like Street View. It's like World of Warcraft Street View. So it'll drop you <laughs> in a random spot, and you can pick. You can say, like, I want to go anywhere in the game, or you can say, I just want to be on this continent or only in this zone. And you can, like, move around, just like in Street View. You can spin around 360 degrees, and then you, like, drop a pin where you think you are, and it'll tell you how far away you are. It is like it is GeoGuessr.
0: To a T, but it's in World of Warcraft. That sounds like <laughs> somebody had a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, no
1: kidding. Either that, or used some like super crazy AI scripting to to stitch everything together. But as I, honestly, it's amazing. Like with
0: um, Activision Blizzard's bot sniffing software, I I see their AI machine possibly <laughs> triggering something in <laughs> yeah, all maybe. I don't know.
1: I mean, that this the group that did it, this is kind of what they do. So they also have one for Fortnite and for Grand Theft Auto 5. Uh, this is the same thing. It's a GeoGuessr clone. And then they're working on some other games. They're working on Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, And one of the Final Fantasies, I don't remember which one, but.
0: Probably 14, because that one's open world. Probably, yeah. Um, But
1: yeah, it's been really fun. Um, My wife and I were playing it uh, the other day. She was was trying to stump me, and I think she came to the conclusion that I'm a huge nerd, (laughs) and I need to get out more, because. Took her this Um, long to figure
0: that one out. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean...
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I I didn't realize how much time I had spent in that game because there's a mode that you can do where it disables like being able to move. So pretty much wherever it drops you, you have to guess. And uh, it was not as difficult as I thought it would be.
0: (laughs) Interesting.
1: I... Yeah, I apparently have spent way too much time staring at, at those zones. but <laughs> And, I mean, I guess it helps that each zone kind of has a specific, like, look and feel to it. It's not like the real world where, you know, Minnesota looks similar to, I don't know, Iowa or whatever. Like, everything in the real world tends to be really similar. But
0: in the video game world, each zone is pretty different, so... I don't know, to an extent. I mean just thinking about the area that I live in, it, when I go south, um Colorado into New Mexico, there is subtle differences. Um probably because most borders are defined by a geological uh phenomenon of some sort, right? So mm-hmm not as vastly different as they are in a video game world, but there is a difference between locations, in my opinion, at least here in the States. True.
1: Um, Yeah, so I guess just to shout out the the website, it's lostgamer.io. So I should have said that earlier, but if you're listening to this and sounds like fun, lostgamer.io. I know
0: what I will be doing after we finish recording. <laughs> um,
1: and then I guess that kind of segues into the last thing that I've been playing, which is uh, the pre-patch for World of Warcraft Dragonflight. Um, uh, so we're recording this on the seventeenth. On the fifteenth, they opened up the new race and class to anybody that had opened, or sorry, that had pre-ordered the game. So. I've been leveling my my little dragon dude. And uh, they also have these like elemental invasions that let you get catch up gear. Um, So they're just on like a a constant rotating timer. You go and kill these elemental dudes, drops currency and you go buy gear that's on par with like the latest raid. So uh, I've been trying to get all my characters caught up. And then if anybody's listening and they want to potentially try out some of the new systems, because they've done a complete revamp of everything, talent trees, all that kind of stuff. Um, they're actually having a free weekend, um, which by the time you're hearing this will be too late. but um, So it runs from now through the 20th of November. <laughs> and um, the full game is is open and playable for free. No subscription required. You can do any any content, any any raids. There's no level cap. Um, the only thing you can't do is the new uh, Drakthir race class because that's tied to the the Dragonflight pre-purchase.
0: But other than that, everything's so, open. So theoretically, I could log in tonight and grind for four days and then buy a token at the end of that yep with all the uh, gold farming that I was doing yep it's not bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of people are are, um, I don't know if they're doing that specifically but um, it's been really cool to see like the world being super populated again like doing some of these elemental invasions Um, I mean I have a, a fairly beefy computer at least as far as WoW is concerned Um, I don't have the latest graphics cards but I do have two of them um, slide together and it was struggling at a couple points trying to render everybody's spell effects and stuff so I think there was probably and I know it. like a lot of people it phases people like the the server phases people away from each other but uh, there was probably a couple hundred people in this area so it's been really cool it's kind of like when when wow was at its height and that's what everybody was doing
0: that that's awesome that i miss those days uh a lot of me misses that game i still don't think that i will ever go back (laughs) yeah so
1: um oh wow i'm going for 15 minutes i need to talk faster uh, so in... you're you're good. We're 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 discussing <laughs> things right now. So then, uh, regular news. Um, I was talking about this on Twitter, but I have picked up an app. It's not called Walk to Mordor. That's what the old one was called. This one's called like Fantasy Hike or something. Uh, but it's basically a fitness tracking app where you walk to Mordor. Um, so I started my tracking. Uh, back in September on the same day that Frodo left Bag End in the books. Well, it was like September 20-something. Um, and I'm definitely not keeping up with him because <laughs> I'm not walking for 12 hours a day. But um, it has been fun. So it's a really cool app. Um, you, I think you're limited to like a mile per day if you don't buy the premium version, but... I don't know. I, in My opinion, it's worth it. I know that's just me, though. People are on different budgets, so I bought the premium
0: version. It's four bucks. In eight days, I've gone twenty-nine miles. Nice. So, I, I also I'm, am not keeping up with Frodo.
1: <laughs> I think I am at a hundred and something. I can't check because my I am using my phone as my camera right now. But. <laughs> Um, and then, so the last thing I have is, um, so inflation is kind of crazy right now. Everybody's, everybody's being hit by that. Um, and I saw a, might've been a, a, TikTok or a blog post. Um, so somebody was talking about how with the cost of ingredients and specifically butter, um, has been ridiculous. Like it used to be like $2 and something a pound. Now it's almost five. Like literally, I think it was four ninety eight when I looked. And um, anyway, so the person that wrote this article was talking about how it's cheaper right now if you buy heavy cream and make your own butter. So I was like, oh, well, I should give this a try and see how well it works. So uh, we had some heavy cream in the fridge, and uh, we just put it in my wife's stand mixer. And we ended up using about 32 ounces of heavy cream. So it was half a carton. And that gave us a pound of butter and about 10 ounces of buttermilk. So, Jeez Louise. (laughs) And the carton of heavy cream is the same price as a pound of butter. And we only used half the carton. So there you go. And it was good. I made some of the butter into like a garlic rosemary compound butter for like steaks and grilling. And then the rest of it, I just mixed some sea salt into it. And it's like, I would, I would recommend it even just to try it and have the experience. Uh, But I think it's, it's super tasty. It
0: just tastes super fresh. I I might have to try that. I haven't made homemade butter since... I think kindergarten when we did a, uh, pioneer, um, <laughs> unit. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I remember it being tasty.
1: Yeah. So it <clears throat> was my, uh, what nuclear Armageddon prep class or whatever, I guess. <laughs> so, Obviously, using a stand mixer is much easier than doing it by hand.
0: I, I was going to say, I remember we put it in a mason jar and took turns shaking it like a uh, like a bartender, like up over the shoulder and mm-hmm. all of that. And it took it took a while for that fat to render.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was really fun watching it in the stand mixer. It took about ten minutes, um, but you could like you could just it was cool to watch the transition into like liquid into a, into a a whipped cream. And then just like all of a sudden it it just turns into butter and like all of the buttermilk falls out and you've got the solid butter like stuck to the, the mixing paddle. And it's like spraying buttermilk everywhere. So wow. It was really cool.
0: That sounds kind of neat. I wish I had a stand mixer now. I would totally do it. Um, my wife and I are—we uh, get deliveries from the local dairy farm. Mm-hmm. They have—they usually have a pretty decent um, rate on uh, heavy cream. Nice. So, well, there you go. Yeah, might have to check it out.
1: Cool. So, yeah, that was it for me. Kind of long this week.
0: Uh-huh. That's all right. Um, I guess my turn. Um, So for three weeks now, uh, I have been working a new job, which is basically working evenings as a custodian. And um, part of my work is, well, part of the things I do to pass the time and keep my mind off of uh, the drudgery of cleaning up after other people (laughs) is listening to a lot of audible Um, so this week I listened to, um, the great courses. If you're, if you're on audible, uh, and you have audible plus, um, every now and again, the great courses will pop up as, uh, something that you can get for, uh, as part of your plus subscription. And, um, so I chose one that was the basically the rise and fall of the Soviet union. So it starts at uh, Nicholas the third and the course ends with Gorbachev. Mm. And um, it, it's been fascinating to just sit there and listen to how each of the leaders uh, kind of viewed the use of the peasants and um this is going to be very much my own opinion Um, but each one of them was just as bad to the peasants as Nicholas ever was. (laughs)
1: Yeah, makes sense.
0: Uh, Until maybe the death of Stalin they did talk about a little bit uh, a little bit about um, the de-Stalinization of the Soviet Union after so uh, Stalin's uh death mm, okay um and just basically setting the ground for the oligarchs that uh, rule Russia today to kind of take over based off of um, just different levels of corruption and stuff um, the <laughs> the professor is fascinating because he's he's a teacher at Notre Dame or was at the time that this was recorded but he got his phd from uh from leningrad university um so he's he's a western citizen that actually got his doctorate from a soviet university and he's got a very interesting um it, an interesting take on how to cover this uh this almost 100 years of the Soviet Union um because of his experience of actually being over in the Soviet Union going to school so it's it's kind of neat
1: that does sound cool it would be an interesting combination of perspectives to have
0: yeah um he definitely makes a lot of uh, parallels to what was going on in America during the Cold War, to what was going on in Russia during the Cold War. And it, it it's neat. Um, it's a history that we're kind of protected from uh, over here in America. The mm-hmm. only history that we get of Russia is Russia bad. U.S. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to kind of hear the ins and outs and basically the, the antecedent to the revolution and then what life was during the reign and then the setting up of, I guess, the next political revolution when Gorbachev finally tore down the wall in Berlin and all of that. So it, it's just... I don't know. I'm a nerd for history.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> this is brand new information. I've never heard this before.
0: <laughs> Who would have thought it? <laughs> cool. Uh, um, yeah. So let's see. As far as uh, the, the the games, um, going to school full time and working two jobs has left me without a lot of time to play games. Um, but when I have, um, I, so last time that we had a fresh show, so two weeks ago, I mentioned that I had broken down and downloaded Victoria three. Um, I've been playing a lot of Victoria three, uh, when I don't have anything to do because it's something that you can turn on and because it's, um, a simulation, uh, you can kind of just let it run until something pops up on your screen. So okay, it's a okay. great game to play when you've got books to read, chapters to read, reports to fill out, because you can kind of keep it on in the background to not really actively watch it. Nice. So, yep. I, I won't bore you with everything that I've been doing, but I... <laughs> I tried, to, I tried to turn Denmark into a uh, military oligarchy and I tried to <laughs> conquer Prussia before Prussia stole half of their, uh, the Danish kingdom. Um, Fun. Let's see, I started a campaign as Korea and tried to claim independence from China that didn't go over very well. <laughs> I tried to turn the kingdom of Hawaii into a socialist uh, like utopia before the United States conquered the kingdom of Hawaii. <laughs> Again, didn't go very well. <laughs> so I I'm, I'm 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 doing silly stuff trying to break away from what actually happened.
1: Well, there you go.
0: During the rain, which makes it stupidly fun. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then the other game that I've been playing is also the Fantasy Hike. I saw that you had mentioned it on Twitter before I decided to take a week off of Twitter. And so I downloaded it and I started it Monday. And as I said, I'm almost 30, 30 miles into my journey. Um, a lot of that is because I work as a custodian and I'm walking six <laughs> to seven miles a day.
1: Well, there you go. Perfect time to download it then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um and then also related to your butter making news. Uh have you seen that the FDA has finally uh <laughs> approved clean meat for human consumption in America? Um yes, I did see that. That's the the lab grown meat, yes. right? the The petri dish meat uh for lack of a better word, phrase I don't know how I feel about it
1: <laughs> so is it is it is it cheaper than real meat
0: yet? I don't or is know it' still
1: that, more expensive.
0: I don't know that it's cheaper yet, but they've perfected it enough. Mm -hmm. that that it's viable, I guess? I don't know.
1: I I mean, for me, so I'm kind of weird, like politically and ideologically. (laughs) I'm like very centrist, but very, I don't know, even the centrists don't agree with me. I actually think GMOs are a great idea. Um, and like, it's like with meat, like lab grown meat, it's just amino acids put together in specific chains. Like it's chemically, it's exactly the same. Um, I could never be a vegetarian because I I really enjoy eating meat. Um, but at the same time, I don't really care if my beef comes from a cow or if it is artificial, it's the same chemically, it's the same thing. It's, you know, yeah, grass fed beef or grain fed beef is going to taste a little bit different. Um, you know, an actual animal will always have a little bit of a different taste just depending on what it ate. But honestly the impact, like the ecological impact of cattle farming is so detrimental. Like it's ridiculous. I would be totally fine getting all of my supermarket meat um, grown in a lab. It's so much more su- sustainable. But then on the flip side, I also don't ever see myself giving up deer and elk hunting. <laughs> so like it's, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm at this weird place where I'm like constantly flip flopping. So
0: that that's fair uh you you think about how much of the amazon has been cut down for cattle farming you think about everything like you said ecologically speaking uh that cattle farming is bad
1: well just but... the amount of water
0: that it takes too just ridiculous you and I have a lot of experience in cattle country. We know that a good steak has marbling. I don't know how they're going to mimic that in a lab. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I do see it being very viable for for lean, uh, for lean meat sources. I could see this turning a trend towards getting rid of the Tyson mutant chickens with their breasts so big <laughs> that they like can't even stand. Mm-hmm. Or um, perhaps uh, these turkey farms that basically grow turkeys in inhumane um, conditions for in America basically one maybe two holidays, so two days out of the year and just the deplorable conditions of the that these birds are living in like I could see it working for that. I don't see it replacing beef yet just because beef gets its, uh flavor from fat. And if you're just growing, um, if you're just growing amino acids, you're not getting the fat. So you're not going to get that good flavor. Yeah. But coming from a, a chemistry background, once you start messing with organic compounds, um, in like hydrogen chains, uh, basically your fats and lipids, um, there's a lot of chances of things that could go wrong, like cancer-causing things that you probably don't want to consume. So I I don't know where I stand on this. I like the idea, but I also want to live in a world where I can just push a button and a food replicator will give me a (laughs) three-course meal every time I want it. That would be the life. So. Tea, Earl Grey, hot. I was thinking more Jetsons. Hit the button and then rehydrate the little pill and it turns into like a feast. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Granted, Star Trek's a great reference too. (laughs) Anyway, um... Yeah, we both kind of rambled on about uh, our personal news, uh, so should we jump into the topic of the day? Aye, let's do it. Do we shall? All right, so what are we talking about this week?
1: Uh, well, on November 30th, uh, there's a Scottish celebration, St. Andrew's Day, so we... I don't think we talked about this last year at this time, uh, but we decided this year we would go into a little bit of the history. What uh, What is the reason for the holiday? What is done on the holiday? Uh, you and I both have uh, Scottish heritage, so this is a topic that interests both of us. Uh, well, maybe it'll interest uh, some other people. Maybe not,
0: but that's All right. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I'd... So um, so basically, St. Andrew's Day is a, the feast day of St. Andrew, and me, um, not being very uh, well-read when it comes to the Bible, had no idea who St. Andrew was, so I decided to look up that first. Um <laughs> I didn't realize that he was one of the, uh, one of the apostles of, um, of Christ. He apparently was the brother to Simon Peter, who I can't remember. There was like three apostles that all had Peter in their name. So I don't know which one he was. In the Orthodox, uh, Christian tradition, um, he is named the first called. So uh, I guess in orthodoxy, they believe that, uh, St. Andrew was actually the first apostle of Christ, which was interesting. Interesting. First one to put down his fishing net. Yeah. And, um, the cathedral of St. Mary's in, uh, Edinburgh, Scotland actually has some of his relics. And so he's, uh, He's the patron saint of Scotland, uh, and there is a little bit of legend in that. So how did he become the patron saint of Scotland? Uh, Well, put my my glasses
1: on here. (laughs) It's (laughs) 1030 at night. Uh, According to accounts given in 16th century historiography, I'm going to butcher this, Angus. Angus, okay. Angus the Second in AD 832 led an army of Picts and Scots into battle against the Angles led by Athelstan near modern Athelstanford, East Lothian. The legend states that he was heavily outnumbered, and hence, whilst engaged in prayer on the eve of battle, Angus vowed that if granted victory. He would appoint Andrew as the patron saint of Scotland. On the morning of battle, white clouds forming an X shape in the sky were said to have appeared. Angus and his combined force, emboldened by this apparent divine intervention, took to the field and despite being inferior inferior in numbers, were victorious. Having interpreted the cloud phenomena as representing the Crux decusata, upon which Andrew was crucified, Angus honored his pre-battle pledge and duly appointed Andrew as the patron saint of Scotland. The white Saltaire set against a celestial blue background is said to have been adopted as the design of the flag of Scotland on the basis of this legend. However, there is evidence that Andrew was venerated in Scotland before this. And if you're like me and those words are confusing, you're talking about a giant white X that appeared in the sky. And that's why the flag of Scotland is a white X on a blue background.
0: So um, I, I don't know much about this story, but I know um, Roman times, uh, there were two ways of crucifixion. One was the classic croc- cross uh, that you see in all Christian churches, like all over the world. Uh, the other one was to use a basically, um, do the same thing except you tie the hands and the feet on a big X uh, basically doing the same thing but you didn't have to dig a hole to put the uh, to put the cross in you could just kind of leave it up um, so a little bit more maneuverable uh, less uh, less showy, less flashy um, and more of just an execute execution technique used by the Romans. Hence the, uh, the X of St. Andrew's Cross. Cool. Um, so Andrew's connection with Scotland may have been uh, reinforced following the uh, synod of Whitby when the Celtic church felt that uh, Columba had been outranked by Peter and Peter's brother would make a higher-ranking patron. Uh, the 1320 Declaration of Arbroath cites Scotland's conversion to Christianity by Andrew, the first to be apostle. Numerous parish churches of the Church of Scotland and congregations of other Christian churches in Scotland are named after Andrew. The natural church of the Scottish people in Rome, uh, St. Andrea degli Scossesi, sorry, my Latin sucks, is dedicated to St. Andrew. <laughs>
1: Nice. Um, So the last notes uh, that we have here about the legend of St. Andrew, Uh, there is a local superstition that uses the cross of St. Andrew as a hex sign on the fireplaces in Northern England and Scotland to prevent witches from flying down the chimney and entering the house to do mischief by placing the St. Andrew's cross on one of the fireplace posts or lintels. Witches are prevented from entering through this opening. In this case, it's similar to the use of a witch ball, although the cross will actively prevent witches from entering, whereas the witch ball will passively delay or entice the witch in hopes of
0: entrapping it. Um, This reminds me, uh, when I was younger, uh, elementary school, uh, whenever... you play silly games when you don't know how to interact with people. You you play silly games. And uh, <laughs> one of them, like the cooties uh, crossing your two pointer fingers into an X, like basically St. Andrew's cross, like, oh, no, you can't come near me. You can't go come near me. You can't hex me. I'm blocking you. Like, it just reminds me of these, uh, like this tradition from the old country, uh, Scotland and Ireland and Northern England settled basically settled most of what is uh, the United States uh, has roots to these people um, and so it, it's just funny how these old traditions have kind of been reinterpreted by the youth of today I don't know if they still do that I sound like an old man the youth of today <laughs> uh, and youth young uns sir
1: well they, they probably do it's and there's a lot of like schoolyard traditions that kind of have um, like more serious or sinister or morbid roots. I mean the, the whole ring around the rosies nursery rhyme, it's about the black plague. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there's uh, there's a lot of stuff like that, but
0: anyway, an interesting bit of trivia for you. Um, in the UK, they actually say that nursery rhyme a little bit different than us. Uh, here in America, we say, ring around the rosy, ash, uh, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the UK, it's not ashes, ashes, it's a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. Because um, sneezing was one of the signs that you had caught the Black Death. And so, <laughs> uh, just a, just interesting, uh, interesting bit of trivia for you.
1: See, if we played the the UK version of Ring Around the Rosie, then maybe COVID wouldn't have been such a
0: big deal. <laughs> no, no. They, they still died of the plague. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, so that's a little bit about the legend of St. Andrew. So... Uh, we want to talk just a little bit about the festival that is celebrated on uh, November 30th. Uh, so as we mentioned at the beginning, this is a national festival in Scotland. And there's a whole bunch of things that take place traditionally. So um, a few of the notable things, there are: there's a butchering of animals from Sawan that was moved to this date uh, in theory to help the survival of the animal herds like well into the winter. Samhain was like a month ago at this point. So <clears throat> better if you're not butchering all of your animals too soon. Um, and then in 2006, this actually became a bank holiday, uh, which is what we would call a federal holiday over here in the,
0: in the U.S., Um so it's also a flag holiday. Uh, the Saltier, uh, which is the cross of St. Andrews, uh, as mentioned from the legend above, was actually flown um, on every building with a flagpole on its property uh, on this day. And it's actually written into law that the flag St. Andrew's Cross must be flown on this day. Um, which actually is uh, interesting because uh, Edinburgh Castle, still flies the Union Jack on this day and it causes a lot of rift between like the uh, Scottish Unionists and the Royalists who see it as a slight against uh, the Scottish people. How dare they uh, <laughs> fly the Union Jack, which is the uh, flag of the United Kingdom on on this St Andrews Day type of thing and like a lot of things. Um, the actual reason why, Edinburgh Castle flies the uh, flag of the United Kingdom and not the uh, Scottish flag on this day is because it is run and uh, It's an active military post for the British Army. And so, because it's an active military post, it answers to... It used to be the Queen. Now it's uh, King Charles III. Um, not... Not any... Scottish people, so interesting Yeah,
1: that makes sense um, So in addition to the uh, the official holidays the, uh, the day is a celebration of Scottish culture uh, There's music and food It also marks the start of the traditional Scottish New Year uh, Samhain traditions were possibly moved to the closest Catholic holiday, which is would be St. Andrew's Day um, And then Traditional New Year celebrations are often held during this this week long uh, festival of Saint Andrews.
0: I, I, I was thinking about that uh, statement that the uh, the New Year's traditions of slaughtering animals and all of that stuff uh, moved from Sao to Saint Andrews because it was the closest holiday, Catholic holiday. But isn't technically All Saints' Day a uh, feast day?
1: Um. I think so. Yeah, I don't sure. know. Maybe th- maybe that one was already taken. So, well, maybe. Who knows? There's been there's honestly so much history and like as different cultures have absorbed one another. Like it's fascinating to try and trace tradition origins of traditions, and and dates and and stuff like that. A lot of it's been lost to history, but it's kind of fun to. Look into and speculate about
0: the the thing that always fascinates me about Scotland uh, and the British Isles is they historically have been Christian almost as long as Rome itself. Like it, growing up in America, you don't realize like you you think oh the British Isles are on their own for lack of a better word, island. Um, And they didn't have like what was going on uh, in mainland Europe. So they became Christian so much later um, than the rest of mainland Europe. But they've got monasteries that were set up in like the five hundreds. Oh yeah. Which is just wild to me. It's
1: the whole reason the Vikings uh, (laughs) were interested in that area is, all of the, the monasteries that they could raid and, and get gold and all of that stuff. So,
0: yeah. So that just always fascinates me. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another thing that is constantly uh, celebrated anytime that Scottish culture, uh, Scottish heritage is celebrated something comes up called a Burns Night. Um, And this is something the St. Andrew's Society of Colorado does. I'm sure the St. Andrew's Society of Idaho does. uh, They host these Burns dinners. And so uh, we're going to kind of go through um, what a Burns dinner is. So first, Robert Burns is considered the Uh, the national poet of Scotland. He wrote there on a a lot of uh, music poems. Um, I want to say that he wrote the uh, unofficial national anthem of Scotland. Um, May or may not. I'm not entirely sure on that, but um, basically the true Renaissance man, um, and he was uh, alive during the Jacobite uprising, um, which we'll probably go into on another podcast in the future. So basically, Protestants versus Catholics, huge war lasted over a hundred years. That's all you really know needs to know about the <laughs> Jacobite uprising. If you want to learn more, watch uh, Outlander on Netflix or stars. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, the Burns Night is the celebration of Scottish culture, uh, and it's got a very traditional order to it. It's it's probably the closest that the old feudal clan system has to like royal um, pomp and circumstances. Um, every time a Burns dinner is held. Uh, you have bagpipers who will um, pipe in the guests, usually playing one of uh, Burns' songs. And then there's a welcoming speech. Uh, And this is where the host will state the reason for the feast, um, why he's hosting, he or she's hosting. And when they say grace, uh, which is a, a prayer, um, and so the grace that they have that they say uh, is always the same one. Is some have meat and cannot eat, and some would eat that went it, but we have meat and we can eat, and say the Lord be thanked it. <laughs> um, and that, that awesome. is that Good is job. the grace that is always said <laughs> at a bird's <burnt> dinner. <laughs>
1: Good job on that one. You made me want to stand up and yell freedom. <laughs> <clears throat> um,
0: so from here, uh, there's a soup course uh, of dinner that is brought in. It's usually a uh, potato soup um, and then two local soups also based on the uh, potatoes called a skink or cockaliki, which was served. And then the pipers return uh, to, to pipe in um, Scotland's national dish, which is haggis. Um, Traditionally, this is a uh, meat dish. Um, It's basically oats and, um, and uh, the sausage making bits of uh, the cow. Fermented um, together, it's it's kind of tasty. It's um, definitely a unique taste, but but I enjoy it. So if you ever go to one of these,
1: it's stuffed into a sheep's stomach and boiled.
0: Um, not in America, because that won't pass well, um, right food safety regulations. <laughs> so what we have here in America is a little bit different, (laughs) but usually eaten on, uh, some sort of bread, uh, very filling. It's almost like a porridge type of meat dish. Anyway, back to it. Um, and then from here, there is a poem written devoted to haggis, uh, which is constant, (laughs) uh, which is read at this point. Um, And then you have your main dish, and then you have a dessert and cheese course that comes out. And then at the end of the Burns dinner, the host will stand up and toast to the the everlasting memory of the lost or uh, dearly departed. There will be a toast to the lasses, and then a... a toast to the laddies, and then there tends to be a reply to the laddies, and this is usually done by a the host's wife or some other woman of stature, who will kind of give a tongue-in-cheek um, response to all the all the good things that the men have done this year to cause this burns, and it's usually a like a a response to everything that they didn't do. So it, it's all in good, all in good fun. Uh, at this point in the Burns night, there's usually a lot of scotch that has been drunk and a lot of um, revelry. Um, and then from there, uh, there's recitation of uh, Robert Burns poetry. Uh, some of his songs are sung. And then at the, uh, at the close, um, everybody will stand up, uh, join hands um, in a circle, and they'll sing "Old Lang Syne uh, to close the evening, which is a song uh, traditionally sung in America at the New Year. Um, so it, it, there, there's a lot that falls into this tradition of the Burns Dinner on St. Andrew's Day.
1: Yeah, um, and then throughout the the week, there's obviously other family traditions that uh, people might do. So, all in all, big party. Yeah, <laughs> if the Scots can do anything, they can party.
0: I was going to say they're they're uh, they're a little more reserved than their Irish cousins, but uh, they do know how to throw a good party. <laughs> yep.
1: All right. Well, I think that brings us to mindfulness. There you go. Um, you, so this is a poem by Robert Burns. Um, you looked it up and your Scottish is much better than
0: mine. So I think that you should read it to us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, so this is a poem about winter. Um, by Robert Burns, and and for the mindfulness moment, um, I, as I was doing the show notes this week, I was thinking, what what better w- we try to do poems, quotes, things like that. Uh, what better way to end our St. Andrew's episode than um, reading a poem by Robert Burns about uh, about winter. So, here we go. When biting Boris fell in dour. Sharp shivers throw the leafless bower when Phoebus goes, a short lived glow far south the lift, dim darkening throw the flaky shower or whirling drift. I night the storm, the steeples rocked, poor labor sweep and sleep was locked, while burns with s- w- snowy wreaths upchoked, while the eddies swirl or throw the mining outlet balked. Down headlong hurl, listening the doors and winnocks rattle, I thought me on the hourly cattle, or silly sheep would bide, ah uh, bide the brattle, a winter ward, and throw the drift, deep larding sprattle beneath the scar. Ill capning bird, wee helpless thing, that in the merry months of spring, delighted me to hear thee sing, what comes of thee? Where wilt thou cower? thy glittering wing, and closed thy eye. Even you, on murdering errands toiled, lone from your savage homes exiled. The bloodstains roast, and sheep coats spoiled. My heart forgets, while pitiless the tempest wild. Sword on your beats. And this is Robert Burns talking about the winter. Was that okay? <laughs> Yeah, that was really good. I I tried to get the trill in there, um, (laughs) which is kind of hard coming from an American accent. (laughs) It is, yeah. But uh, you did really good. I was impressed. So so the Scottish accent is kind of hard. And uh, a lot of the poetry is written uh, very colloquially. um, So um, kind of Canterbury Tales-ish. It's easier to understand if you actually say it out loud. Uh, but the, the premise of this is uh, basically that um, the winter's coming down and um, the light's darkening. Uh, days are getting shorter. Snow's starting to fall. Um, and, and the storm's coming in. And um, the, these, these poor laborers are now stuck inside rather than being able to be outside and doing what they, uh, need to make a living. And, um, so the poet is sitting in his house, listening to the wind rattle, uh, rattle the boards, rattle the windows, rattle all the carving, uh, all the things that keeps the storm outside. And it's, uh, to him, it sounds like, um, cattle or sheep walking through the fields or possibly a war. Um, and then he starts thinking about uh, spring and how uh, he, he starts thinking about these poor little birds that are uh, out in this storm uh, that he, he enjoyed sitting out and watching during the warmer months. And he wonders what's, uh, what's come of the birds um, and kind of turns into rather than being, woe is me, I'm stuck inside while winter's blaring. I'm thinking outside uh, of these poor little creatures that don't have something um, to keep them warm. And so, like most good poetry, it's got a lot of meanings. Uh, That's my interpretation of it. Um, (laughs) But uh, I I really like this message of during the hard times being able to look outside at uh, at others and kind of try to put yourself in their shoes. So that's my takeaway.
1: I like it. I think you, I think your analysis was spot on. Um, I really like the imagery in it. Um, this is um, like anybody who knows me knows that this is my favorite time of year. <laughs> so um, <laughs> when the you know the the days get really short and the nights get get long and it gets dark super early, like most people really hate this time of year, <laughs> especially if you have like. Um, you know, seasonal affective disorder or whatever. Um, But there's, there's weirdos like me that really love like the cold and the dark. And like, I just love the, it's like this morning, excuse me. um, There was a a fog advisory here in Idaho and um, the visibility was literally like less than a (laughs) hundred feet. And I'm lucky in that I, I'm working from home. So I don't, I don't have to go out in it. Um, but I, so every morning I take, I take my two dogs out to, to use the bathroom and run off some energy. And I just love like standing out there, seeing like all of the frost on the grass, a nice warm cup of coffee, watching the dogs run around and just like fog everywhere. Like I just love this time of year and I really like the the imagery in this poem. And the other thing that, uh, so I've heard this poem before, but I apparently didn't latch onto the, the part about the bird. And so, um, going back to this morning when I was out with the dogs, um, this summer I had had a bird feeder that I had set out um, and we had watched, you know, different birds come and, and eat from the feeder. And when the seed ran out this fall, I didn't bother to refill it. Well, this morning um, there was like one single little finch. <laughs> that was like, um, like flying around, um, and went to the bird feeder, uh, that was still out there that was empty. And he like tried to, you know, look for some seed. There wasn't anything there. And so he like went and he flew up into my birch tree for a little while. And then he went back to the bird feeder and he like kept coming back. Like, and so I like, it made me feel bad. <laughs> like <laughs> I had set out seed for the birds and we had like morning doves and all other kinds of birds coming. And, um, everything except for starlings cause I hate starlings and I specifically looked up the kind of seed that they don't like. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it made me feel bad for this. Like it says in the poem, this, this wee helpless bird. Um, so I, I may have ordered some more bird seed even though it's like the end of November <laughs> for these, these poor little finches that uh, are out here trying to find food when it's, I don't think we've had a day over like 35 degrees all week. So, There you go. Anyway,
0: Yeah, Yeah, this was a fun one. one. Um, I I really appreciated this topic. Uh, It's something... I don't know much about St. Andrew. Um, I don't know much about his feast day. I don't really know how it's celebrated elsewhere in the world. Um, But it was fascinating to hear how it's celebrated... In Scotland and by people of Scottish an- ancestry uh, the world over. So, kind of neat. I, I, I look forward to doing more holiday type of discussions.
1: Yeah, this was, this was fun. And I I mean, I knew about St. Anders Day, but I definitely learned a lot more um, through uh, through this episode. So, it's good. <clears throat> all right, right well what's on the docket for next week sir
0: um that's a hard one um i think so here in america um we celebrate something called thanksgiving um it's a time to be together with your family and basically to share your thanks your thankful spirit uh with friends and family and um this little podcast uh, and you all that have been listening have kind of turned into our extended family. And so um, we think it would be fun to have a little uh, discussion of the things that we're thankful for and possibly a little look into just the spirit of the season. Um, so, If you're interested in having uh, something read as part of that show, uh, feel free to either leave us a five-star review with uh, something that you're thankful for in the uh, (laughs) comments, or you can email us um, at uh, podcast at com, And we look forward to uh, being thankful with you next week.
1: All right. We'll see you then.